You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Jamie and Joey, where are you guys? They're back this way. There you are, back, back there. Everybody knows Jamie and Joey. Uh, they're part of our family, and uh, they're home uh, for a while. You're going to be here at admissions conference. The one minute. Good, they'll be here for that. We're glad you guys are here. Good to see y'all. And um, let me just remind you as well, be sure you don't know how much work Joanna did on this. We'd have to go back there. She'd pass out, and we'd have to go throw water on her every day for the last couple of weeks. This is every way you can be devoted to the Lord through his church. All the ministries that we have, and I know this is not exhaustive, but this this will give you a great running start for every one of you that are sitting here that are members at Valleydale for a way that you can get involved in ministry. And, uh, of course, you, you need to be using your gifts, and then you ought to stretch yourself and do something that is a little out of your wheelhouse just to do it, just to see if God um, will bless you and working, doing whatever it is you're going to do. So pick one of those up and remember that. After the second service, um, old Shep... Uh, otherwise known to you as Kirkwood, uh, we're going we're gonna to be out there doing the sermon recap. And then don't forget the um, red carpet event this Friday night. Pray for me this Friday night. I won't be here. I'll be in Georgia preaching a pastor's conference. But the red carpet event, you'll, you'll see me. You'll see me there in several different forms. But uh, I'll be in Georgia. I have now learned how to be in two places at once. So... Let me do this because I'm about to preach two verses here that are, whenever I begin to talk about the Holy Spirit, it seems to me to be um, something that we know little about, uh, but we need to enter into extremely reverently. Father, um, you told your prophet Isaiah that you put your words into his mouth. And that you've covered him with the shadow of your hand. I pray, Lord, that these words would be your words. And that I will operate under the shadow of your hand. Keep me, Lord, from error. Keep me from misleading your people. I have no greater fear, Father, than to stand before you. And to be reprimanded because I did not handle the word of God accurately. I pray that because I pray that to you. I pray that in the hearing of your people so that they know how seriously I take what you've called me to do. Uh, Open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears. Remove every distraction, Father, uh, that would draw us away. May we hear your word this morning. uh, And may we understand, as Paul prays, that 
uh, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. Father, I pray that would happen to us as we go through this marvelous epistle to the Ephesians, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, whenever you bring up the whole issue of the Holy Spirit, it seems like there's always so much confusion. Um, I think that's probably part of the enemy's plan. Uh, I think it is part of, um, of our misunderstanding the Holy Spirit. In Baptist circles, I just have to admit, uh, the Holy Spirit is often called the missing member of the Trinity. Because we Baptists, we'll preach about God the Father, and we'll preach about Jesus, God uh, the Son, but we never really touch uh, God the Holy Spirit. We leave the Holy Spirit alone. We're a little intimidated, a little bit afraid. The last time I heard the great old evangelist, Vance Havner, I, I was uh, in seminary. A bunch of us went over to Dallas to the convention center because he was preaching. He was preaching, Swindoll was preaching, and I don't, after that, who remembers? Who cares who else was preaching? But uh, Vance Havner was preaching that night, and he made the comment, he talked about Baptists and the Holy Spirit, and he said, Baptists are so scared uh, to get out on a limb with the Holy Spirit, they won't even climb the tree. Uh, so we're going to climb the tree. I hope we don't get out on a limb, but we're going to climb the tree because this is the portion of this magnificent colossal sentence all the way from verse 3 through verse 14. He's uh, begun this sentence with the praise for God who, who planned our salvation in eternity past, who elected us, who chose us, all that that means. And then he turns to Jesus Christ who came in time and space at a place called Calvary, and at Calvary bought us, and at the empty tomb secured the fact that we would be raised again uh, to eternal life. Uh, now he turns to the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does in the whole of salvation. Now, as I said, there's a lot of, a lot of confusion, and I don't think it's confusion. I think it's just simply misunderstanding the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to have to deal with a little bit of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do it up front. I hope you've got something to write on because you need to write this down. By the way, folks, if, you, if you've not figured it out, two Sundays ago, I, I was, or was it three, three Sundays ago, I gave you a little bit about the doctrine of God. And then I gave you a little bit about the doctrine of Christ last week. And this morning, I'm going to give you a little doctrine of pneumatology, pneumos in the Greek, Spirit, it is ruach in the Old Testament. Uh, that's the Hebrew word. I always emphasize, you know, kind of deal because I just like to. Um, that's the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, pneumos in the New Testament, pneumatics. You get the word pneumatics from it. It speaks of air. There's a lot of different uh, ways you can translate that. But pneumatology is the study, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, I can only give you bits of this. But what I've just covered in looking at God the Father, God the Son, and this morning the Holy Spirit is the doctrine of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. So if you're interested in doctrine, if you were in a systematic 101 class in seminary, this would be what we would be going over. We'd be looking at this whole thing of salvation. 
Where does salvation come from? How do we get salvation? What does all of that mean for us? So this morning I'm going to come and I'm going to show you that part of, uh, of this study of literally salvation, the Holy Spirit and the part that he does, the work that he does. But now you come to this whole concept of Holy Spirit and people today have so many various ideas. Now, I'm going to explain some of that to you, and then I'm going to go, I'll come to what we believe about the Holy Spirit, Orthodox Christianity, but I want you to look because you, can, you will see this on television. You'll see it on TikTok. You'll see it on the internet. You'll see it on the YouTube, and you wonder about these things. There are those who claim different manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, let me tell you, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit that we believe and hold to is that the Holy Spirit brings to you and builds in you the fruit of the Spirit. Now, you can fake that a little while. You can fake the gifts of the Spirit a little bit, but you can't really fake the fruit of the Spirit very long at all. Love, patience. You've been faking that lately? <laughs> Patience, you know, joy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, all this self-control, all of that, the fruit of the Spirit. That's the way we believe the Spirit manifests himself in our lives. But not everybody does. There are those that believe, and you can go and you can see that there are those that uh, believe the Holy Spirit manifests itself in just an, an outrageous laughing uh, you've heard of laughing revivals, and that has taken place. Uh, there are those that uh, uh, supposedly the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is that they begin to shake and they pass out. They're slain in the Spirit. Now, none of this I can find in Scripture. Uh, there are those that bark like a dog, claiming that this is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. They dance, they hop, they jump, uh, they speak in tongues, all of them speaking in tongues at one time, and they claim all of these things. Now, I'm not making fun of these. I'm telling you, this is the way some believe the Holy Spirit manifests itself. And you say, well, how do we? I'm going to get to that in a moment. And, and, but I want to look at a couple of other groups as well. Jehovah's Witness do not believe that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. They believe that the Holy Spirit is simply the force of God. He is a force that is in this world. He's not a person. Um, he is not distinct from God. Uh, but he is just the, somewhat of the power of God. The Holy Spirit is that. That's what Jehovah Witnesses believe. That's heresy. The Mormon church believes that uh, the Holy Spirit is one of God's children. And that, uh, so God has had children in a, in a way, I don't want to go through all of that. But anyway, they believe the same about Jesus Christ. He's one of God's spirit children who's yet to gain a body. And the work of the Holy Spirit is simply testifying to the truth or acknowledging the truth. The United Pentecostal Church, the Holy Ghost is not a third member, third person of the Godhead, but is the Spirit of God himself, the Spirit of the Creator. Now, there, there's what they believe about the Holy Spirit. That's how the Holy Spirit is manifested. I shared with you, we believe he manifests himself in other ways. Um, there are three things we believe about the Holy Spirit, that he is distinct, that he is personal, and that he is divine. Those are the three things. Now, 
If you were in my systematic class, which I'm not taught systematic, if you were in Barry, Barry teaches, he's, he's the historic theologian. He teaches systematic theology. He would give you these three things and he would tell you this, that the Holy Spirit is divine, that he is distinct, and that he is personal. So next week when you come and I say, pull out a piece of paper, pop quiz, um, who is the Holy Spirit? These are three things that you would give. You ought to put that down in your mind. What we believe about the Holy Spirit, there are three significant problems with a lot of um, belief systems or religions in our day, and that is they do not regard the Holy Spirit, first of all, uh, as a person. They refer to him as an it or a force like Eastern mysticism, something like Star Wars, may the force be with you. There's a Greek word for that. It's called baloney. Um, there's another problem, and it's to be found with those, and this along the same lines, sees the Holy Spirit as a thing, something not to believe in, but he's a thing. He's just some kind of thing that's out there. And uh, so you say he can't be divine, force can't be divine. And number three, the third thing is this, those who believe that the Holy Spirit is not a distinct person uh, in the one true God in the Trinity. Uh, they believe that God, you know, if you, if you have watched um, Star, uh, Star Trek, they believe God shape shifts or he morphs, that he's God the Father for a while, but then he morphs into God the Son, and then he morphs into God the Holy Spirit. That's called modalism. That's heresy. Um, Marcion uh, in the second century, third century, uh, dreamed up this stuff about the Holy Spirit, and it was heretical, uh, but it spread uh, uh, through, through these centuries. It has spread, and people believe that. Listen, I've heard guys on television preach this. Uh, they don't know how to handle the Holy Spirit, and they think that God just turns into the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit or God turns into Jesus. Jesus turns back into this and then turns back into that. That's modalism. It's not correct. It is a, a heretical idea. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, I'm going to get you to do this. I told you, I have to give you some theology first, okay? Y'all are just looking at me like, when are you going to start preaching? I'm up here preaching my little gizzard out. Um, <laughs> go with me to John chapter 15. I want you to see this. Um, John chapter 15, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus here speaking of the Holy Spirit. When the helper comes, you see that? John chapter 15, verse 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Now that's distinct right there. He is distinct from the Father. He is distinctively from the Son. There's a distinction between the three. They are three but they are one. And you say, preacher, that's what messes me up. That's why he's God. You can't ultimately explain God other than the word of God. Thank the Lord God gives us this word. God is love. Okay. All right. Now, let me back to the verse. Don't, don't get me off like that again, okay? Here we go. I've got a lot of ground to cover. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he's going to come from the Father, he, do you notice, not it, not the thing, he, that's personality. 
He has a personality. You understand and know God the Father and His personality. God the Son and His personality. Well, the Holy Spirit has His personality. He will testify about me. That's what He does. He comes to testify about Christ. He is distinct and He is personal. Now, let me just show you uh, something else about Him. In fact, let me just show you several things about His divinity. He is divine. Jesus said this. You can just stay right there in chapter 15 and 16. Watch this. He will teach you all things. That's John 14, 26. He will bring all things to remembrance. That's John 14, 26 as well. He will testify of Christ. That's John 15, 26. We just looked at that. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's chapter 16 of John. In fact, just look over to the next page. John chapter 16, verse 8 verse 9, verse 10, and, and 11. Listen to this. And when he comes, he comes, will convict, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What's he going to do? Convict. He's the one who brings conviction concerning sin because they didn't believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. So that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He will guide you into all truth. Look at verse 13 right here. But when he, you notice he keeps referring to him in a personal pronoun? Not, not in the third person, it. There's no it here. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Number, uh, look at verse 14. Look at this. He's going to disclose to you all things. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. He'll reveal to us the things of Christ. Now, I've got one more thing I want to show you. In fact, I could do this for the next 45 minutes, but I've got to move on because I want to get to the passage. Uh, I want you to see one more thing, and it's something in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me, let me say this about the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, because that's what we're coming to. They are concomitant. That is, they are is, is, inseparable. They are inseparably linked, concomitant. Where you find one, you find the other. So you come now to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I want you to listen now to what Paul writes about this, beginning in verse 10. Look at this. Well, let me back it up to verse, 5, uh, verse 8. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, which has not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him, for to us God revealed them. How? Look at this. Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man, which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. What are those things? Boom, this right here, the Word of God. The Word of God, which natural man, verse 14, does not accept all the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness to him. Listen, he uses spiritual words and spiritual thoughts and combines them together 
and gives us the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit comes and illumines the text for the believer. He comes and he opens up the text to us so that when we read it, the Holy Spirit guides us through the Word of God. Now, that's what the Spirit does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And as Paul is going to come and talk about the Holy Spirit now in relation to our salvation, let me leave that theology of the Holy Spirit and let me show you this, that the Holy Spirit secures and seals what God planned in eternity past and what Christ brought about at the cross and the empty tomb. He seals it and he secures it. So let's move now to Ephesians chapter 1. Everybody with me? Good. Okay. Now, first of all, I only have two points, and, and of course you believe that. Um, first of all, I want you to see this, that the Holy Spirit brings the conviction of the Word of God. Remember John chapter 16, what he begins there, verse 8, he brings conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So he comes and he brings. Now listen to what Paul says because this is, this is a mouthful right here. In him, now let me tell you, that's not the Holy Spirit, that's Christ. He's just been referring to Christ. Uh, the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory in him. You also have after listening to the message of truth. Now the Holy Spirit's involved in that the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. He comes and he's saying this, that this is the process of salvation right here, is that you hear the message of truth after listening to the message of truth. Now, what is the message of truth? Look what he says next. It's the gospel of salvation. It's the whole plan of God's salvation. It's everything that Christ did at Calvary in the empty tomb. It's the whole drama. It's the whole passion of Jesus Christ. That's what you hear. Now, I want you to remember Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by and hearing by, everybody got that? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when you hear the word of God, when the gospel is shared with you, when you hear it, God with the gospel, in the power of the gospel is that there is created within you the ability to believe, a faith that will give you the opportunity to put faith in the gospel, in Jesus Christ. So you hear the word of God, Now I don't know how you hear and I, I tell you this, you have to hear the gospel, folks. There's never been a man who's never heard the gospel that sat bolt right up in bed one morning and said, I think I'll just trust Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive me of my sins. That has never happened. People hear the gospel. This is why it's so important for us to be a part of missions. Because until they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, they do not have the ability to be saved. There's no other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he says, here, they listen, preacher came to you, missionary came to you, your brother came to you, your sister, your mom, your dad, a work associate, a business partner, 
a friend, a neighbor, somebody came to you and at some point began to share the gospel with you. And the gospel is simply this, uh, there is a God. God created you. He created this earth. And yet now our relationship with God is broken because of our sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned. That's me, that's you, that's the preacher down the street, that's Billy Graham, that's everybody has sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 tells me this, the wages of sin is death. We're all staring down death. We're going to die physically one day, but you don't have to die spiritually. Spiritually, you can be born again. That's what Jesus talks about in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would be saved, would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Well, you come and you realize, you know what? I am a sinner. And I just have to say, I've thought about this a lot. I can't remember a time in my ministry where I I have had people defend themselves. But in the end, even those who never accepted Christ would admit, yeah, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. I've done, I've done some things wrong. You know, after a lot of defense, I can promise you after a lot of defense. We are all sinners. And I want to tell you something. Somehow we know that. That part, you don't really have to be told. I really do know down in my heart, I have done things that are wrong, bad. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the rest of Romans 6, 23. And then he tells us that if we will confess with our mouths and believe with our hearts, for with the mouth confession is made unto righteousness, and and the heart will believe into salvation. That we'll believe, confess it with our mouths, and then Paul quotes and he says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, that's salvation. I hear the word of God. Faith comes to me through the word of God, and God gives me the ability to make a decision. He gave me a mind. He gave me a will. We are not robotons. We're not humanoid robotics. We're not computers. We're none of those kind of things. We are people the creation of God with a mind, and he gives us the opportunity to respond to him. And you say, but that's works if I respond. That's not works, that's simple obedience. He calls for us to be obedient. So in obedient, I believe Jesus Christ. He's convicted me of my sin. I cannot get rid of my sin. I cannot cannot stop my sin. There's nothing I can do with my sin except come and offer it to Jesus Christ and for him to forgive it, and he will forgive us. He tells us he's faithful and just to forgive us all of our unrighteousness. The Word of God says God wants everybody. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and the Word of God says this, he would that none would perish, but that all should be saved. But the fact of the matter is that's not going to happen. Because there are scores of people that are not going to put their faith, their trust, they're not going to believe in Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, let me go back to the whole issue of missions. 
every single person on this earth deserves to hear the gospel at least once. Everybody. We hear it week in and week out here, but so much of the world never hears the gospel. They long for a Savior. They don't even know what they long for. They hunger for salvation. They don't even know what they hunger for. Everybody in this world deserves to hear the gospel. That's why we're committed to missions. That's why we're going to do this missions. That's the bottom line. That's That's the part that we do here that we are concerned about the most. Okay, let me, let me get on with this. Well, look at that text. You see what he says here? When he come back to verse 13, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, that is the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. As aorist tense in the Greek, past tense. Paul speaking to these Ephesians said, at some point you heard the gospel, maybe from Aquila and Priscilla, because Paul came there with Aquila and Priscilla, uh, on his second missionary journey. I, I think he leaves them there and he goes on, but he's going to come back and uh, he's going to spend three years uh, at Ephesus and uh, he is going to teach and he's going to preach and all of that for three years there. Uh, and then Paul's going to go off and, you know, he comes back and he bids farewell to the Ephesians and, um, uh, you know, there's so much weeping, they can't bear the thought that they'll never see Paul again. And Paul goes and he's going to be beheaded. Um, uh, one year before Nero dies any, uh, or takes his life. Well, he, um, he comes back and he says, at some point in the past, you heard the gospel, you heard the word of God, and it activated that faith in you. I have to make a decision. He says, you believed. Again, that's an act of obedience to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws us when the gospel is preached. And folks, let me tell you, you can resist the Holy Spirit. I did it for several years. Man, they'd give the invitation at church, and I'd want to go down so bad, and I, but I didn't want my friends to see me going. I didn't want anybody else. I didn't want my girlfriend. I didn't want my parents. I didn't want to have to answer anybody's questions about that. But I felt so under conviction, I just thank God he didn't stop. I just thank the Lord he didn't give up on it. I just thank the Lord. He said, you're not head. I'm going to get you. That's what he did say. I'm going to get you. I can tell you the Lord impressed that on my heart one night. I was dating. My wife's not in here, so this is okay. I was dating a girl I had no business dating. And that night after I dropped her off at her house, and I was beating it home to be there by 1130 because my daddy laid the law down. You'll be in at 1130 or you will face the wrath of Don. Not Con, but Don. My dad's name was Don. Uh, he, he said, uh, anyway, I was beating it home and the Lord just said, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I knew it in that moment exactly what he meant, what he was saying. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Well, I'm here. So here I am. I don't know what else. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, here we go. Do you remember when Jesus stood in the temple? At the end, on the last day of the great feast, which was the Feast of Booths, it was the great day, which was the last day of the Feast of Booths, and Jesus stood up and Jesus said, he who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of him will flow rivers of living water. If that isn't an invitation, tell me what it is. Whosoever, Jesus said, who, if you're thirsty, 
Jesus is saying to you, you come to me, and I can quench that thirst that's in your soul. You, you can't quench it with anything else like you can thirst in the body. The only way you can quench it is with God, and he'll do it through the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the first thing. Let me give you the second thing, and the second thing is this. That is, the Holy Spirit brings assurance of our salvation. This is so good. Now, I'm going to pick it back up. That's a half a verse I've just preached. So let me pick it back up in the second half of verse 13. He comes and he says, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And let me just go on down to verse 14, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, he comes and he says this, two things. He says, first of all, you're sealed. You are sealed. That moment that you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, this happened when I was in junior high. Some of y'all remember. This It kind of goes around from time to time. Do y'all remember writing to your boyfriend or girlfriend and you, and you had those little fancy candles and you would melt the wax on the back and then you had your initial and you would stamp it on the back and you just, all you wanted to do is just impress her that you were somebody, you know? And so you would just stamp it when, I had girls sending me that stuff all the time. So, you know, all of these seals, all these seals. Well, that's exactly what the word is. That's what it means. It means to be sealed, to be stamped to be indelibly marked by the Holy Spirit somehow in a spiritual dimension which you and I cannot see when you were saved at that moment, precisely at that moment, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit somewhere, I don't know, on your forehead, down your nose, in your ear, on your hand, I don't know where it is, you were sealed. Why do you think the Antichrist is going to try to mimic that in the book of Revelation? to get you to be sealed on your forehead or to you be sealed in your hand because the Holy Spirit has done. Satan copies God all the time. Well, that was free. That didn't cost anything. I just threw that in there. But you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You've got a mark. Now, you've got three marks. They, they represent three things. One, authenticity, that you actually do belong to God that you're authentic, that you believe Jesus Christ. You are an authentic believer. The Holy Spirit comes and he seals you with uh, that mark that represents the mark of an authentic believer in Jesus Christ. The second thing that it marks and means is this, ownership. You belong to him. In fact, in this book, he's going to talk about master and slave. He's going to talk about that very thing here in Ephesians. He's going to speak of, uh, of the master and the master coming and our being the slave of the master. The doulos, Paul says, he calls himself a doulos. The doulos, not long ago, I shared with you how a doulos, that's a man or a woman who decides I am going to stay in servantship to this master for the rest of my life. That's their decision. They're ready to be released, but they decide we're going to stay as a servant, and they were marked in their ear. Sometimes in, in, the, in the Roman world, they were stamped with the name of, uh, of their master, or they had a brand or an initial from their master. And so it is a mark in the spiritual dimension 
that you are the property of God. I just think, if I was in the Pentecostal church, (laughs) they'd be more excited about it than the Baptists are. But number three, it's a mark of security. You never broke a king's seal. You know, I had an unusual relationship with Dr. Charles Ryrie. I loved him. I miss him so much. Um, They're fixing to come out with his basic theology again, and they've done some revision to it. And his daughter, who's in charge of all of that, sent it. She said, would you read this, and would you tell me, would my dad approve of this? And so the, the, the next one coming out, I have proofed for and I just, I just love him. I just love his memory. This man had an unbelievable antique Bible collection, one, one of the largest privately owned antique Bible collections in the world. And uh, he also had signatures. He had gotten every, he just told me one night I was at his house and he said, just ask me to show you a signature of him. I said, Abraham Lincoln, he brought it out. I said, Adolf Hitler, he brought it out. I said, uh, Martin Luther, he brought it out. I said, Melanchthon, who was the partner of Luther, he was his uh, co-minister there, and he brought it out. And then I said, I, I want to see Henry VIII. He brought out not only the signature of Henry VIII, there was the seal of the king of England, Henry VIII's seal. Now, think about that. Perfectly intact. You didn't break that. If you broke it, you were under penalty of death. And so here the Holy Spirit comes and he gives us the seal of security. Let me tell you something. Nothing can, nothing can ever come into your life. And I'm going to quote my book here at this point, but that it doesn't first pass under the gaze of the eye of Almighty God, under and through the hands, the crucified hands of Jesus Christ and pass the sentinel guard of the Holy Spirit. You are secure. In Jesus Christ, the security of your salvation is not based on your power to secure yourself. I have so many people ask me, you know, have I lost my salvation? Well, has Jesus sinned? And they'll say, well, my word, why would you say that? No. I said, well, that's the only way you can lose your salvation. I said, because you didn't save yourself to begin with. You not only did not save yourself, you don't keep your salvation. He keeps it. He keeps it. I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. So the only way you can lose your salvation is if Jesus Christ falls off the throne next to the Father in heaven and into sin. You can't lose your salvation. Now, can you grieve the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Back in Galatians, just a page back in Galatians, you can read this. Do not grieve the Spirit. But you can't lose your salvation. And the Holy Spirit is the one who has sealed you. Until that moment when Jesus Christ returns in the air and we are caught up together to be with him. The second thing is this. The second part of this is that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that you will be saved. 
That is the Holy Spirit. Listen, that's, that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives within me is the guarantee. He's the down payment. Arrowbone is the word in the Greek. It, it is a legal term that somebody has put down earnest money on something. I go to buy a house or piece of land. I put down some earnest money that says, I am serious. I want this. I will bring you the rest at a date we'll decide on. All of us buy houses that way. That's what we do. We put down some earnest money. We really do want this. We're serious about this. And so at a later date, we'll go and borrow the money from the bank and bring the money to the table to them. We still owe on that. But listen, the Holy Spirit, he is that guarantee. He is that earnest. He is that arabone that is that is given to us to say, it's coming. It's not here yet. It's on its way. And I'm here not only as the earnest, I'm here to give you power and strength and guidance and direction until it comes. There you go. Until he comes, I'm the one that's here to do this. Let me just, y'all act like y'all bored. Uh, So let me just close with this. Let me just say this. We don't realize all that the Holy Spirit brings to us. I am not a health, wealth, and prosperity. You absolutely know that. And this is not the direction that goes in. But I want you to understand, we don't realize what we have with the Holy Spirit. The strength, the guidance, the leadership, the discernment, the understanding, all of those things the Holy Spirit brings to us, and we just simply ignore the Holy Spirit because we think we don't want to get out there on a limb. I knew the family. In fact, Ed Yates was one of my, he was one of the chairmen of my deacons at First Baptist Church of Dallas. Now, I had 400 deacons there, by the way, and uh, all active. If you were a deacon, you were a deacon for life, and you never rotated off. You were always there. So um, it was a wild ride. But back during the Depression, the Yates family owned a lot of property, a lot of acreage uh, out in West Texas. And uh, Mr. Yates, during the Depression, got to the place. He had a sheep ranch out there, which kind of made him distinctive from other Texans. He had a sheep ranch and um, he, 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 um, he couldn't make the payments on the ranch, on the house, on the land, on everything that he had. And um, he, he didn't know what he was going to do. He worked with the bank. He was down at the bank. He thought, I'm going to lose all this land. I'm going to lose the house. I won't be able to care for my family, feed them, clothe them, how, I don't know what's going to happen. All of this. And he had to accept some government assistance, which was against his nature. But in order just to keep his ranch, his land, his home, he had to do it. So he took the government assistance. He walked out every day. He said, I'd go out every day. And he said, I'd look over that that, uh, that flock of sheep. He said, I'd look all over these sheep. He said, I'd go up and downs in the hill country of Texas, up and down these hills, all this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres that he had. And he said, I just would wring my hands and worry and wonder, how am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? I can't make it from day to day to day. He happened to be out on one of those hillsides one day when he saw a group of men approaching him. 
they were taking seismic readings and they said, we'd like to take some seismic readings here on your ranch. And he said, sure. He said, what are you looking for? He said, we're out looking for oil. And uh, sure enough, they hit oil on Yates Ranch. They hit oil, and the first oil well they hit brought in 80,000 barrels a day. They hit two more wells that brought in more than that. Each. At 1,115 feet below his feet where he was standing, 80,000 barrels of oil were coming up. Now listen, let me tell you, oil closed at $83 a barrel this past Friday, some odd cents, $83 some odd cents. That means that a day, that's $6,640,000. And you say, well, it wasn't worth that much back then. Okay, we'll go back to about $30 a barrel. That's $2.4 million a day. Now, that's okay. I'd, I, could, I could probably live comfortably off of that. Versus the 6.640, oh, you know, I could do the one and a half, the one, 1. 1.4, you know, two point whatever it was. The amazing thing was this, is that when he bought that property, he also decided to get the mineral, mineral rights with it. So that as Mr. Yates walked across the hills of his ranch, wringing his hands in despair on government assistance, God had met his need 1,115 feet below his feet. Same is true with you. And there's something far more valuable than oil, and that is the oil of the Holy Spirit on your life. And that all the things that you need in life, are you going to have difficulty? Yes. Are you going to have crisis? Yes. Are you going to have struggles and sickness? Yes. But the Holy Spirit is your earnest that God is going to take you home to be with him. Cancer can't end that. Death can't end that. Dementia can't end that. All the things that we think are going to rob us and end life will not end life because we've been sealed and secured by the Holy Spirit. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.